All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here this morning at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on victory in Jesus. This is part two. And so, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we want to say thank you to those who are partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the give page and all the directions are there. Well, I got a lot to cover. To, <coughs> excuse me. I have a lot to cover this morning, so let's go ahead and jump right in. We're talking about victory in Jesus. And so this is part two. And um, last week we started out with a key verse from 2 Corinthians 2 14 that says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ and through us diffuses of fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So in case you have any different opinion, whether it's always, or, or whether you're questioning whether it's always God's will for you to triumph, well, this makes it very clear. It's not like God who always leads us into triumph. And it's in Christ Jesus. Your victory is in Jesus. And it's always God leading you into that victory. In Christ Jesus. Now, as we mentioned last week, we're going, we're going through the book of Ephesians. Because I believe God, Paul wrote a whole book on this victory in Jesus. And Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, <coughs> excuse me, the book of Ephesians, and just a reminder, was, was written during the time that Nero was reigning in the Roman Empire. He was a Roman emperor at the time, and he was probably one of the most wicked men who ever lived. My point in bringing that out is that even under the wicked rulership of Nero, one of the most wicked men who ever lived, the church was still victory. The church had victory in Jesus. So no matter what country you're going to in these last days, no matter what country, even in our own country with all the wickedness going on in our country, we can still have victory in Christ Jesus. If in Paul's day, under wicked Nero, they had victory in Jesus, it's no different for us today. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, as I mentioned last week, the book of Ephesians, I believe, is Paul's masterpiece on our victory in Jesus. He spends time in chapters 1 to 3 talking about how we were born into victory, how we start from the position of victory. He goes on into chapters 4 and 5, which we'll start doing into next week. We talk about how to walk it out, because we are victorious. This is how you walk it out. And finally, in chapter 6, he talks about how we fight against the devil. So we start from a place of victory, we learn how to walk it out, and then we finally stand against the devil. Most of the church has a path. They think that we have to stand against the devil so that we can walk it out and so that we can hope obtain victory. That's backwards. No, we start from a position of victory and, and that, then we learn how to walk that victory out and then based on that premise, we stand against the devil. Our key verse from the first section uh, 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 chapters two, 1 through 3 is from Ephesians chapter Two verse six, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We start 
from a position of victory. We start sitting on the, his throne with Jesus. We start from a place of victory. Okay? We're not trying to gain victory. We start from a place of victory. We are. We talked last week how we are people who are blessed, we're chosen, we're holy, we're blameless, we're predestined to succeed, we are redeemed, we are accepted by the we are accepted in the beloved, we are purchased by his blood, we are forgiven of all of our sins, and we have an inheritance that is sealed <coughs> by the Holy Spirit promise. So last week we talked how we are people we are people of victory, and we have promises of victory. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him. You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also. Excuse me, let me get that out of my throat. Let me read this again, starting right here, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard. The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and him also having believed, you will seal with the Holy Spirit promise. Excuse me. So again, we are people of victory. We are promised victory. And he goes on to say in verse 14, who is a guarantee of our inheritance and the redemption of the precious possession to the praise of his glory. So we are people of victory. We have promises of victory. I'm not going to rehash last week's message. And in other words, let me, we, we say it this way. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is our guarantee of that inheritance that we have in Christ, that we have in the Holy Spirit. And not only are we people of victory, and not only are we promised victory, we pray from a place of victory. We, you know, I, I, I encourage you, and I've done a study on this a couple of years ago, on the four prayers of Paul. Now, Paul prayed more than four prayers, but there's four prayers that we have in Scripture. Two of them are here in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 3, also Colossians chapter 1, excuse me, and Philippians chapter 1. And it behooves, I think it behooves us to study the prayers of Paul, okay? Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself there. See, and, and when you study these prayers of Paul, you write, when, when Paul prayed, when he prayed for us, when he prayed for the church, he always talked about who Christ is, who we are, what he's called, what God has called us to do, and what uh, God has invested in us to get the job done. So, in, in Paul's prayer, <coughs> excuse me, and you, see, when you study the prayers of Paul, you can learn how we should pray. Because Paul always prayed about who Christ is, who we are in Christ, what God has called us to do, and what God has invested in us to get the job done. Okay? In other words, Paul never prayed. In his prayers, he never talked about weakness. He never talked about lack. He never talked about fear. He never talked about failure. We pray from a position of victory. We're not trying to get the victory. We already have the victory. <clears throat> we are defending the victory we already have. Okay? And so, in Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at how but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our key verse for the first section. Okay? And he goes on to say, verses 7 and 8, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is a gift of God. Okay? And we take this back with Titus chapter 3, verse 5, says, Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going through this a little fast as we're going through a little bit of review. But you can listen to last week's message as we talked in more detail about these verses. But my point I'm trying just to rehash here as a, a recap to, to set the stage for this week's lesson. We, be, we began from a position of victory. We already have it. I'm not fighting for a place of victory. I'm fighting for the victory I already have. I'm defending the victory I already have. So how does the victory come? How do we obtain this victory? Okay. One of our key verses for today and for this sec segment of our teaching is going to be from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So I asked the question, how does the victory come? It comes through the power that works in us. Now I started here today with this week's lesson, Ephesians chapter 3, 320. I started here, now we're going to go backwards where we left off last week, and we're going to lead up to this verse where we're going to conclude today. So how do we, how does the victory come? It comes through the power that works in us. But now go back, picking up where we left off last week, but how do, how do we get here? <coughs> how do we begin to see this power manifested in our lives? So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Excuse me. We're going to pick up verse 11 where we left off. We ended with verse 10 last week. So pick up verse 11. And Paul says, Therefore remember that you once, the Gentiles of the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Now that's a picture of defeat. That's who you were at once time. Without Christ, this is who you were. Are you following me? Before we received Christ, before we had Christ, at that time, before we received Christ, we were alienated from the commonwealth. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. We had no hope, and we were without God. That's who we were. That's a place of defeat before we received Christ. Okay? But then, but then I love verse 13. But now, in Christ, this is who you were. Let's go back one time. This is who you were without Christ. You were defeated. But now, in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now, that doesn't get you excited, your wood is wet. Okay? But now, I love this phrase, but now. This is who you were, alienated from the commonwealth of the people, strange and strange from the covenant of promise, without hope, 
and without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Okay? It's the blood of Jesus. We have victory in the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us victorious. It's not you. It's not your religiosity. It's not your performance. It's not your holiness. It's not you. It's the blood of Jesus that makes you victorious. You were alienated from God. You were alienated. You had no hope. You were estranged from the promise. But now you are by Christ. In Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus changed us. The blood of Jesus ushered us into that victory. Okay? Now let's jump ahead real quick to verse 19. Then we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll lead up to it. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Go back real quick. You were alienated from God and from the commonwealth of the people, from the promises of God. You had no hope. Now you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And because that's true, you are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, not only in not only in Christ are we part of God, brought near to God, but through Christ we are all citizens with the saints. We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all members of the same household of God, the body of Christ. Okay? And so we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit as we go forward. But we're members of God's household. We're citizens of heaven, of the saints. But again, going back to verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once, you were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We, by the blood of Jesus, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now it goes on to verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Okay, we'll come back to that real quick. Verse 15 through 18, having abolished in his flesh. The enmity that is in the is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance so that creates in himself one new man from two thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, there's a lot in here. I'm not going to spend time going into all that detail. Okay, first of all, he's brought us together. He's reconciled us to God. And we are also reconciled to one another in Christ. Okay, that's a whole message I can go on off into. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. And we'll touch base on some of this when we get to the how we walk this out. Because Paul spends a lot of time with this, especially in Ephesians chapter 4. How we get how do we, we start from a place of victory, but how do we walk it up? How do we walk it up out among each other? How do we get along? How do we walk it out in our marriage? How do we walk it out in the world? How do we walk it out in the church? How do we walk it out in so many different areas? And we'll learn that a little bit more later, okay? But uh, and, and he, we have uh, we have for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We'll, we'll touch on that in just a moment as well. Okay, so, first of all, I want to go back to verse 14 real quick. 
for he himself are peace who has both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Okay. Jesus, through the cross, through his blood, through the cross, has actually broken down two different barriers. This first one that he mentions here is he's broken down the middle wall of separation. What is he talking about? He's talking about when Jesus died on the cross, and it says this in Matthew chapter 27, and then behold, the bell of the temple was broken, and the two in the top to the bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. When you understand the tabernacle, there was a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. That, that veil prevented us to have full access to the throne of God, to the mercy seat, to the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, His presence. And God removed that veil. He removed the middle, middle wall. Well, it was just a curtain, Pastor. That curtain was thick. It was thick. It was, it was a wall. No man could have just ripped this. Okay? This was ripped by God. Okay? From top to bottom. It wasn't ripped from the bottom up. It was written from the, 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 the top to bottom by God. Okay? Anyway, uh, he, 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 so that we have, let's go back to verse 19 real quick. Uh, verse 18, me, that we have access to the Father. He gave us full access to the Father. Okay, he broke down the wall that separated us from God. Okay, when Jesus, at the moment that Jesus said it was finished, the veil in the temple was broken. And we, we were separated from God. We were alienated from the commonwealth. We were in strangers to the promise. We were without God. But through the blood of Jesus, he removed the inner wall, the middle wall, and the separation that we have between God. And that was illustrated through the tabernacle. Okay? I'm going to go to Colossians real quick. And this is going to piggyback where we are. We're going to come right back to Ephesians. But it says in Colossians that we are complete. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Okay? Remember I said there's two barriers. The first barrier was that he broke down the middle wall. Actually, let me finish this context and then let me, let me go where I was going to say. Verse 11. And him you also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you of all trespasses. Now there's a lot here I wish I had time to go through and hopefully we'll go through the book of Colossians soon. Okay. But let me ask you, remember there's two things that were broken here. The first one was the middle wall. This, that, that, that symbolized God removed the separation that was between God and man. We have full access now to the Father. And we're going to spend some time with that in just a minute. Okay. But let me ask you a question regarding the second area, that the second wall, the second barrier that was removed. Okay? What gave Satan power over us? What gave him dominion in the person's life in the first place? What gives him that dominion? Sin. Sin 
gives Satan an inroad in your life. Gives him dominion and power in your life. Where there's envy and strife, there's every evil work. James chapter 3, verse 16. So, God, God through Christ, not only broke down the middle wall and the separation between God and man, but he also broke Satan's power over us. He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of Satan in our life. Satan no longer has power over us, the believer. Because he who, uh, let me get ahead of here, he who the substance is free is free indeed. Okay? Because he goes on to say Colossians. Having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle under them triumphing them over and that he had victory over it. And he took the handwritten requirements, the law, and he nailed it to his cross. He disarmed all principalities and powers. Satan has no inroad in your life, no power, has no dominion over your life because he nailed it to the cross. And now he disarmed. He disarmed all principalities. He disarmed them. They have no weapon. All they have is deception and confusion and religion. And since we are forgiven, we have authority. If they are disarmed, we now have authority over them. Okay? And we'll build on that, too, in a few moments. We have authority and dominion over all principality and powers, all the works of the devil. Okay? And before we go back to Ephesians, not only are we in Colossians, but let's also go to Hebrews. That also complements Colossians. Okay? In Hebrews chapter 10, 10 verse 14, excuse <coughs> me, for by one offering he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, if you read the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews talks about how we have a better priest. In Hebrews chapter 8, talks about how we have a better covenant on better promises. And the guarantee of that is from, we see in verse, chapter 7, verse 22, that Jesus becomes the surety, the guarantee of a better covenant. We have a better covenant. Establishing better promises with a better priesthood. And in chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews talks about how we have a better sanctuary. Which is the body of Christ. And we have a better sacrifice, which is the blood of Jesus. And in chapter 9, verse 22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We are, because of the blood of Jesus, there's remission for our sins. Okay? Let's bring this back into Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. So again, actually, getting ahead of myself here. And, and uh, Hebrews 10, 14 again, by one offering he perfected forever those who are being sanctified, which goes with Colossians, for in him dwells the fullness of Godhead, and, and you are completing him. Because, because of Jesus, because he's remitted our sins, as far as the east is from the west, he's blotted them out. Okay? He's perfected us forever. Okay? We are complete in him. Okay? By one offering. In him he has perfected us. 
and going back to Hebrews 10, 14 real quick. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We're perfected. We are completed. We are matured in him. We're complete in him. We're perfected. Now if you study this word perfected out in the Greek, it means to make perfect, to finish, to fulfill, to be perfect, to consecrate, to complete, to carry out, to accomplish, to bring to an end, to bring to a close by an act or event. And what was that act or event? The cross. Okay? Jesus finished the work. He completed the work. And Jesus through the cross has made you perfect. He's made you whole. He's made you go back to He's made you complete in Him. Jesus completed you. Jesus perfected you. And we have victory in the blood of Jesus. Jesus, through His blood, destroyed the barrier between God and man. He conquered sin. He also destroyed the barrier between Jew and Gentile, between men. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but you can read in Acts chapter 10 how God reconciled with the Gentiles as well. But God sent an angel to Peter and also to Cornelius to reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles. So you see all that. So we have victory in the blood of Jesus, and the Spirit of God carried it out. In other words, in all of this, God is saying, I want to come and live on the inside of you. He cleansed us. He cleansed our bodies. He cleansed us. He made us holy so that we were bought with a price. So that the spirit of the living God can come and live on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit can live in an unholy vessel. Jesus removed the barrier, our relationship with God, to sin. He came to remove it so that he can live on the inside of us. Are you following me? Jesus not only reconciled us back into relationship with God, he cleansed us so he can live on the inside of us. <clears throat> and so that we can also have access to his presence <clears throat> anytime we need it. See, in the Old Testament, because of the veil, they didn't have all mankind did not have access to his presence. Only the high priest could go in one time a year into his presence. But Jesus came and removed that barrier. He cleansed us, perfected and completed us, so that he could come and live inside of us. I shared a lot of different verses to paint that picture, and we're going to continue to build that picture and paint that picture, okay? But we have access to his presence 24-7, 365 days a year, including the leap year, 366 days, okay? And, we, and just like Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 35, 15, 15, excuse me, therefore by him let us Let's continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. I just bring this out. We can continually come to His presence and give Him praise. Okay? Jesus is our altar. 
And there's many scriptures that talk about how Jesus is our altar. We don't have to come to a different altar. We come to Jesus who is our altar. Okay? Now, rather than us being alienated from God, which we talked about, and being separated and strangers of God, and being held at a distance, we are members of God's own very own family. It's going back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God. He made us a member of his family. We're not strangers. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. We're victorious. You can't be, you can't be victorious if you're a stranger of God. You can't be victorious if you're not even a citizen with the saints. You can't be victorious if you're not even a member of the household of God. But Jesus came and not only redeemed us, he came and made us part of his family. Okay, made us his offspring. We have victory through the blood of Jesus. So, <clears throat> Jesus not only we not only have victory through the blood of Jesus, we also have victory through the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to verse uh, 15 real quick. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is in the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances as to create in himself one new man from two who was making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body to the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached, preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, but through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, my fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place in the Spirit. Now I'm going through some of these verses a little fast, but at the same point in time, God cleanses by His Holy Spirit. We were strangers. We were alienated from the life of God. And He came. He removed that, that, inner, that inner wall. He came to remove all barriers. He came to reconcile us back to God. He came to make us a family of God. He came to make us members of the saints. He came to make us uh, in covenant relationship with Him. He came to cleanse us so that we could be a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. He cleansed us. We are not, see, we're not looking for a visitation of the Spirit of God. We are looking for an inhabitation of the Spirit of God. That's a major point I just made right there. Many churches across the world are looking for a visitation of the Spirit of God. We are looking for an inhabitation of the Spirit of God. Jesus came and cleansed us, not so that the Holy Spirit can visit that's what he did in the Old Testament. But he came to cleanse us so the Holy Spirit can dwell. The Holy Spirit can live. Okay. God wants to inhabit. He wants to inhabit. He wants to dwell in you. Christ dwells in us. Christ lives in us. Christ has taken up residence inside of us. We have victory through his blood, and we have victory through his spirit. 
But the only way the Spirit could have victory in us is that God, God through Christ, first cleansed us. Are you following me? We have victory through Jesus, and we have victory through the Holy Spirit. But we could not have this dwelling place with the Holy Spirit without first having victory through the blood of Jesus. He had to clean us up. He had to make us a holy vessel so that the Spirit of God could dwell. Okay? The blood of Jesus made the Spirit a possibility. Without the blood, it was not possible for the Holy Spirit to inhabit you, to live inside you. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them, but he did not live in them. But here in the New Testament, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have, you have more than anyone in the Old Testament ever had. You have the fullness of God in you. Okay? So that concludes chapter 2. Now we're going to go into chapter 3. Okay? There's two aspects of revelation that will transform your life, and we'll get into those. So let's begin in verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you, you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to, you, to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery that I have briefly written already. Okay? In other words, and we'll get into this, there's some things you can't get any other way but by revelation. It has to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. I can teach it to you. I can show it to you. I can explain it to you. You can read a book on it. And someone else can explain it to you. But it needs to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. There's some things you just won't get. You won't comprehend. You won't, you won't just you just won't get it until it's revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's read this again, from, sorry, verse 3. How that by the revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the, in the mystery of Christ. Paul, he, the revelation was made to know to him, but he wants us to understand by knowledge the mystery of Christ. Paul got a revelation by the Holy Spirit, by God, by Jesus himself, of this mystery. But Paul wants us to understand this mystery, which in other ages was not made known. It was not made in any other ages to the sons of men. And it had now been revealed by the Spirit. And in other ages, in the Old Testament, in other ages, this mystery was not made known. But now... By the Spirit of God, it is revealed to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles, I want to make sure I'm not going too far, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ through the gospel. So what's part of the mystery? We're going to get into that. But that we will be partakers of this promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me who am less, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is a fellowship of the mystery 
which from the beginning of the ages have been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Okay? So, well, a couple things I want you to point out, uh, want to point out here. First of all, verse 3 is that how does the, by revelation he made known to me, to Paul, the mystery. In other words, this mystery was revealed to Paul by God. Okay? He also says in verse 4, you may, that he may understand in the knowledge of the mystery of the gospel. Yes, it was revealed to God, to, to Paul by God, but he, Paul, God, wants us to understand the same mystery. Okay? And also in verse, in verse 9, to make all see, to make all get a revelation. But it's a fellowship of the mystery. <coughs> so the only way to understand this mystery is by revelation. Okay? He followed me so far. Okay? The, and this mystery is, has been hidden from all ages, but now revealed to us, to the saints, by the Spirit of God. And what is this mystery? What is this mystery that is going to be revealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked, because... Paul elaborates in, Col in Colossians, and to them God will to make known. That means God make God will to reveal, to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery that was revealed to Paul, this mystery that he wants us to understand. This mystery that he wants all to see is and make known is the glory, is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that's revealed by the Holy Spirit. God wants to reveal to you Christ in you. God wants to reveal to you that because of Christ, you have victory through his blood. You have victory through the Holy Spirit, which was made possible because of the blood. And you have victory through Christ in you. So there's victory through the blood. There's victory through the Holy Spirit, which the blood made possible. Which made possible and there's victory through Christ in you. Okay? Those are three things that, 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 that God wants to make known to you. Christ... Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's victory through the blood, there's victory through the Holy Spirit, and that victory is because of the was made possible because of the blood. And there's victory through Christ in us. The Holy Spirit made Christ in us a reality. Okay? That's one thing I'm trying to get across here. The Holy Spirit makes Christ in us a living reality. Many don't understand the reality of Christ in them. Many in the church, many outside church, don't understand the reality of Christ in them. When you begin to get an understanding and revelation of Christ in you, it will revolutionize and change your life. Okay? Again, let's go back to verse 3 real quick. Now that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. Okay? This mystery is only revealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
something can only come by again by revelation. And this mis the the, the 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 thing that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us, the thing that God wants us to understand, is this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, let's go back to Colossians real quick. Let's start verse twenty five. At which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to us, his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? In other words, you have the hope of the manifest presence of God, Christ in you. You have, because you have this presence, you have this power, you have this purpose of God. In the, in the Old Testament, in the ages before, this was a mystery. But the New Testament, and where God wants to reveal to you by His Spirit, because of the blood of Jesus has made it possible, that Christ is in you, His presence, His fullness is in you. You have His presence. You have His power. You have His purpose. It's inside of you. It's not a mystery. It's revealed to you through Jesus Christ. It's revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And both Jesus and the Holy Spirit have been revealing Christ in you. Excuse me, the hope of glory. Because Christ is in living on this side. In other words, in other words, the main point I'm trying to bring out right now, I'm hoping, I feel like I'm going through this a little too fast, and I'm a little too intellectual. But the power that we have, the victory that we have, by the blood of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is that Christ is living on the inside of you. That is something no other age has ever experienced. Before the cross, before Jesus, and no other age has ever experienced Christ in them. It was hidden. It was a mystery. But now it's revealed to us, the people of God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter because what's been revealed to you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ is living on the inside of you. Jesus is living on the inside of you. Okay? And it goes on to say, in verse 28, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect. There's that word perfect again. In Christ Jesus to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. See, this whole concept of Christ in you is not just some religious cliche. It's not just some uh, something that we just know. Okay? It's because this Christ who's in you, he's at work. He's working in you mightily. He's alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus, yes, so that the Spirit of God can dwell, so that Christ can dwell and live inside of you. And this Christ, this, this Spirit, Spirit of the living God who's living inside you, is working mightily. We have victory, yes, in Jesus. Not just to go to heaven and avoid hell. That's true. That's powerful. That's what's preaching. <coughs> That's what's being preached. That's what's being warned. Okay? But it goes a lot deeper than just heaven and hell. It's Christ in you. Eternal life is not going to heaven and avoid hell. Eternal life is a relationship with God. 
John 17, verse 3. And this Jesus is not just there to be religious, not just there so you can walk and, and be moral and be good and behave. He's in it to work and do mightily. They do exploits, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, cast out demons. They do exploits, do miracles. Okay? Heal the sick. We've been perfected in Christ Jesus, yes, so we can, till Christ can live in us and work in us and move and live and have a being. And we get this understanding, we get this revelation, we get this revelation what really Christianity is all about. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with the living God. Christianity is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've come alive to understanding Christ. We need to come alive to this revelation that Christ is living on the inside of us. That he's working in us. That he's working in us and through us. That according to Paul and Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need a revelation by the Spirit of God. We died in Christ. It's not us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. He's working in us mightily. Okay? Again, he's working in us mightily. It's on the screen. We have victory. We have victory through the blood. We have victory through the Holy Spirit, which was made available because of blood. And we have victory because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, Christ, is living in us, and that's living reality. And that was all made possible by the blood. The blood of Jesus made Christ in you a living reality. We have victory because, but we have victory because of the blood. We have victory because the Holy Spirit is is in us, and we have holy, we have victory because Christ in you is a reality. I'm victorious. Why? Because Jesus is living on the inside of me. First John four four says. You are God. You are God's children, and I've overcome them down because He who's in you is greater than He who is in the world. This only comes by revelation. Only by revelation can you understand this concept, this mystery, Christ in you, and Christ in you. Takes uh, residence. Uh, the Holy Spirit. See, it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you everything I've been teaching. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who we are in Christ. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you Christ is living inside of me. It takes uh, it takes the, uh, a revelation to by the Spirit of God to understand that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that you are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that you are redeemed. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that you are forgiven of every sin. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that you have the mind of Christ. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that by His stripes you were healed. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that you are blessed, that you are the suffering and the beloved, that my God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus has taken up residence. 
His fullness is inside of you. His fullness is inside of you because of the blood, because, because of what he accomplished through the cross. His fullness is living inside of you. And that revelation, when you get a hold of this revelation, it will, tra it will transform how you live. You don't have to live sick. You don't have to live poor. You don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live addicted. You don't have to live addicted to religion. You don't have to be addicted to religion to any, any substance of any kind. You can be free because Christ is living in you. Okay? You can be free. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have so much because uh, we are in Christ Jesus. He's our righteousness. He's our wisdom. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. Okay? I'm redeemed from every curse. And this revelation, which I'm, I feel like I'm barely tapping into, will transform your life. When you get a revelation of this, not just because I taught you, not just because I point out scriptures to you, that all is helpful. But when you get a revelation that you know, that you know, that you know what this means, it will change how you live. It will change how you think. Okay? It will change every area of your life. Everything you go through, everything you do, everything you think will, will be processed through this filter of Christ in me, the hope of glory. And Paul is saying in his in this book called Ephesians, I want you to get this revelation. I want you to understand and know the victory you have in Jesus. I want you to understand this mystery of you in your Christ, the hope of glory. So how does this mystery work? Let's go back to Ephesians real quick. Let's pick up verse 9. Because he says, And to make all see... Well, there's a fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to say, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, before I go too deep into this, this time, I just want to recap something I shared last week and I already recapped this morning. And last week, and you'll have to listen to last week's message, but I already talked about how because of Jesus, we are already blessed, we are already chosen, we're already holy and blameless, we're already uh, predestined to succeed, we're already accepted in the beloved, we're already purchased by his blood, we're already forgiven of all of our sins, we already have an inheritance that is incorruptible, we already have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we've been redeemed. But he's saying here, too, he goes, that we will also know, as a church, those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who have received Christ, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this phrase, principalities and powers, many times it's used in, in, reflect, in reference to demons, the demonic devils. But in this context, that's not what he's talking about. In this verse, in this context, he's not talking about demons. He's talking, I'll get, I'll get because in context, what we've already been talking about the last two weeks, that we're seated with him in heavenly places. Okay? And in context here, here 
He's talking about principality and powers. He's talking about principality and powers in the heavenly places. There's no demons or devils in the heavenly places. Okay? So you not, sometimes you need to make, pay attention to the context that you're reading. Now, he does say in other places that we do have authority. He said in his first prayer, in Ephesians chapter 1, that we already read last week, that we do have principality and powers over, 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 over the devil. And we will read some other things, especially in Ephesians 6 when we get there, how that's true. So that, that doesn't eliminate that. But in this context, in this verse, he's not, he's not, not only are we blessed and chosen, forgiven, redeemed, and, and, and accepted in the beloved, but there's also a revelation of this mystery that will be known to the church that we not only have power over the devil, we have, but we have but, but, oh, but to principality powers in the heavenly places. What does that mean? Paul wants us to understand not only who we are in Christ, and what we have in him, but our authority that we have in him. He's talking in this context about angelic powers. And most people don't teach, a lot of people don't teach it. And in case you don't, don't see that, the Amplified brings it out. And the Amplified, it says, let's get there, the purpose of this is that through the church, the, the completed many, many signs wisdom of God in all of its infinite variety and numerous aspects might be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities as having powers in the heavenly sphere. He's talking about angelic rulers. You know, you see, Paul says, I want you to understand, you have authority in heavenly places. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We're on the throne with him. We're not the king of kings. He's the king. It says in Revelation chapter 5 that he redeemed us by his blood and made us kings and priests. Kings being mankind. So ladies, don't get offended. <laughs> Want to call yourself a queen, that's fine. Okay? But we, but he's the king of all kings. Okay? We're not, we're not saying that we are God, that we are like God, but we, but when you read the book of Hebrews, he's made us even, in the, in the, the psalm that the writer of Hebrews quotes, he's made us a little higher than the angels. The point I'm trying to, Jesus, by his blood, is because of Jesus. I'm not exalting us, I'm exalting Jesus who is in us. And if Jesus is in us, he definitely has authority over angels. Because we already read, let me go back real quick, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Where am I? We've been crucified, we died. It's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And Christ who is in me has authority over angels. It's not me. I'm dead. I died. But Christ has authority in me. <coughs> Anything I do, is I do because of the faith of God in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? we go back to where we were. Where were we? Um, you got to remember that when Lucifer died, or, or when Lucifer uh, fell, one-third of the angels fell. That means there's also still two-thirds of them still there. And they're still working. For every demon, there's still two angels. There's more with us than there are with them. And it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and 14, are they not all ministry spirits set forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Who inherited salvation? 
not angels, us. And they're there to minister for us. It says in Psalm, where he shall not give he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, and their hands they shall bear you up as you dash your foot against a stone. In Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I'm not here exalting angels. I just there's so many things I'm trying to bring light to that we have victory, because we're talking about victory in Jesus. And this is just, I'm not, this is not the only thing I'm talking about, but it's included. Okay? And we have authority in the heavenly realm. We have authority in a sense to dispatch angels to bring forth the purposes of God. Not our purposes, but our purposes are now Christ's purposes. We we died. And we're here to preach the gospel. We're here to do what God's called us to do. We need to know who he is. We need to know who we are in him. We need to know what he's called us to do. And we need to know what he's invested into us to get that job done. And one of those things, of many things, is that he's given us angels. It's not the only thing. There's many things he's given us authority over. Am I making sense? Okay? He says, I want, he says, I want the church to understand who they are, what they have to do what God's called them to do. We need to understand who we are in Christ. That we have authority even over angelic rulers to get the job done that God's called us to do. If it takes an angel to do it, then we have them at our disposal. There's many other things I, I teach on. I don't teach on angels very often. This is about the only time I remember teaching on this. Okay? But it's, it's in the context. I can't just jump over it. Okay? Let's go back to Ephesians 3.11. According to the eternal purpose of God, so that's the very next verse, according to the eternal purpose of God, not just our purpose, okay? According to which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have, we have such a, a, an access, a boldness, an access to his presence to do what he's called us to do, to be who he's called us to be. Okay? We are washed by the blood of Jesus. The Holy, and because that's true, the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. Christ is living inside of us. And we have boldness and access. We have confidence to faith in Him. Okay? You can come into His presence with boldness. See, what we're talking this morning, we're not talking about being wimpy Christians. We're not wimpy Christians. We have victory in Jesus. And we are seated with Him in heavenly places. Where Jesus is right now, He's sitting on the right hand of the Father on the throne. And we're sitting with him. So where are we sitting? On the throne with him. We're not the king. We're not God. And we're not Jesus. But Jesus is in us. And we are in him. And we're sitting with him on his throne. He's Lord, we're not. He's king, we're not. He made us kings and priests in him. 
I just want to make sure I keep that in the right balance there. Okay. I'm not saying that you are God sitting on the throne. No, you're sitting with him. You know, back in the day, my, my grandparents had a farm in Arkansas, and I was just a little guy. Not even in school yet, I don't think. And we're on the dirt road out of the middle of nowhere, driving up to the creek. And there was a creek across the road, but sometimes we were further up creek. And I remember, I just remember just as a toddler, my grandfather let me sit on his lap driving the truck. Now, he was driving the truck. I wasn't doing anything. I couldn't reach the pedals. I couldn't do anything. But I, all I knew about that steering wheel, and that, that, steering, that steering wheel was bigger than I was. Okay? Just an old pickup truck, old pickup truck. You know, I was sitting on his lap driving the truck. He was doing all the work, but I did get the thrill for the moment. No one's around but cows and horses on the other side of the fence in the creek. You know, but I'm sitting on his lap, sitting together with him driving that truck. And that just uh, paints a picture for me that I'm just sitting on his lap as he's reigning in the universe. As he's king of all kings. Okay? But we have this, I want to go back real quick, we have this boldness, we have this access with confidence into his presence. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace at times. Have you messed up? We've all have. The grace of God will teach you to live by you. But we might stumble along the way. When you mess up, and sometimes you might mess up worse than big, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in your time. Do you need some grace? Do you need some mercy? Well, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. It's an open-door policy. He's made the way. How do you make the way? Through the blood of Jesus. You can come boldly to his throne. You have authority by the blood of Jesus to come to his presence and receive mercy and grace. By whose authority? By whose permission? Jesus. The one who's sitting on the throne. He gave you permission by, he gave you power of attorney by his blood to come and give out mercy and grace. Okay? We have full access to his presence by the blood of Jesus according to to the eternal purpose of God. Okay? Going to the eternal purpose of God. Let's go back to Hebrews 10, uh, 10 I, can't, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit this morning. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. What? By the blood of Jesus. What gives you access? It's like, you know, some places and some businesses you need a, a key or a password to get in or a computer or or whatever it might be. You need an access code or a card that you can swipe. Or a thumbprint. Or sometimes your eye. Or, or a fingerprint. What, how do we get access to the king of all kings? The blood of Jesus gives us access. Okay. It speaks of better things than that of the blood of Abel. Um, we have full assurance of faith. By the blood of him. See when we understand what I'm trying to teach this morning. When we understand what Paul's trying to teach in his book to Ephesians, also Colossians, Galatians, and the book of Hebrews that we bring now, it will change the way that you live. It will change the way you pray. It will change the way how you relate to others. It will change every area of your life. But you can only get what I'm... I can teach it to you. I'm trying. I'm doing the best I know how. 
and hopefully by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm trying to teach to you, even though I'm trying to teach you, even though we can read in the book of Ephesians and, and other books that we've been reading, it really can only be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. I can't get this for you. I can teach you. I can explain it. You can read a book about it. You can listen to someone else about it. But the only way you're really going to get what I'm trying to teach to you is being revealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's my, as Paul prayed that for you, I echo that prayer that you, like myself, and even though I got a portion of this revelation, I'm still getting the revelation of it. And sometimes I can be reminded of that because I, I lost sight of that revelation. Because of cares of this world and, and, and other things that go on in this world. Things have choked it out in this world, in this life. And there's times I get so focused on life that I forget who I am. And by the Holy Spirit, He reminds me who I am in Christ. And I can walk in that authority again. Because of Christ. And the Holy Spirit helps remind me I have authority, I have confidence, I have dominion. I have access to his presence. I have boldness by faith of him. And trying to, trying to read my notes here. I can't read that last one. But I do have authority over angels as we talked about. In other words, I'm not just trying to get by. I have victory in Jesus. We're not fighting for victory to get a victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. There's a difference. You ever play King of the Mountain? And everyone's scrambling, pushing everyone away, trying to get to the mountain. But then once you're on the mountain, people are trying to get there, you're just pushing them off. There's a difference between fighting from a place of victory versus everyone trying to get there. But if you know who you are, and you know who your brother and sister is in Christ, you're not fighting with one another. You're not fighting for victory. You're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities who would try to deceive you and confuse you that you're not who God says you are. Because Satan will come along and say, did God really say? Did God really say? Same thing he did to Eve. He will try to deceive you. Let's go move on. Ephesians 3.13. Running low on time. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart as my tri tribulations for you, which is in your glory. Paul tags us in to what he's saying. He says, because he's going through some tribulations. He says, I'm going through some stuff right now. But I'm not going to give in to that trouble. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. So I don't want you to lose heart because of what I'm going through. Okay. You know, that kind of echoes what he says, uh, says in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to go to King James real quick. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith and to this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. Okay? Again, we have this access that we've been talking about. Okay? We have this access into his presence. Okay? And he goes on to say in verse 3 and 4, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why do we glory in tribulations? Because we know something. It's been revealed to us. We know that tribulation works patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. Okay? 
We glory in trepidation because we know something. How do we know? By the Holy Spirit. By the Word of God. Okay? I, in other words, I'm not, I'm, I'm not focused on the tribulations. I'm focused on the glory. I'm, I'm focused on, on Jesus. I'm focused on who I have access to. But sometimes when we're, go, we're, we're accessing Jesus, how many you know if you're not, if you're, if you don't bump into the devil once in a while, you might be going in the same direction as him. So when you're going to Jesus, you're going to bump into some tribulation. Okay? You're going to bump into some things. Until Jesus comes, that's going to be true. Okay? But while I'm doing that, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I keep, I keep believing. I keep knowing who I am. And this knowing, this tribulation, because I know that, that tribulation can produce patience. Another word for that is endurance. Okay? There's many scriptures that can elaborate on that. For example, there's one in Hebrews 6, 12, that you do not become sluggish, but in, in, and imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. Sometimes we need faith and patience to an endurance to inherit the promises. God's promise it to us. It's ours in Christ Jesus. But there's some tribulation along the way that's trying to get us off course. To get us uh, focused on another thing. The cares of this world. Okay? And so we get off course. Going back, back here real quick. So that tribulation work is patience and patience experience. Okay? See, when I patiently believe God, when I, over time, no matter what tribulation is coming, and I, I'm enduring through patience, and I'm experiencing God's presence, and I'm experiencing some victory, but I'm also experiencing some pushback from the enemy, and through experience, but when I patiently believe God, And I experience the grace, I, I continue to experience the grace of God, the goodness of God, the faith of God. That experience works hope. Okay? Hope is a positive expectation of good. I have hope in God. I have hope that I'm blessed, that I'm chosen, that I'm predestined to see, that I'm accepted in the beloved. I have hope. Excuse <coughs> me, Christ is in me, the hope of glory. I have hope because he did it once, he'll do it again. Because I have been, I have through patience experienced God's goodness over and over and over again. I have hope. He did it once, he'll do it again. The enemy can come at me a hundred times. I've got to keep standing because God helped me the last 99 times. He's going to help me again. He healed me once, he'll heal me again. He'll, he'll provide for me once, he'll provide me again. How do I know this? Because hope does not make shame. It does not disappoint. <coughs> Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. I hope. Why? Because his love is shed abroad in my heart. So, we, you know, I started off here, and I only have a few minutes left, so hopefully I get this done. I started off 
with today's lesson from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above my model, we ask again, according to the power that works in us. What is working in us? How do I get to the place where this happens? This is manifested in my life. We get there because of his blood. We get there because of the Holy Spirit. We get there because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. We get there because his blood is shed upon my heart by the Holy Spirit. This is the end of Paul's prayer here in Ephesians. Let's go to the beginning of Paul's prayer as we go back to Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. Paul's praying as he prayed that I said that it behooves us to read Paul's prayer. He has four prayers in the scriptures that we can read. He wants to get you he wants you to get strong in the Lord. Strong in the ability of God. Strong in his presence. Walking in hope. He goes on to say that he would have shaken with might through his spirit and inner man. Um, sorry, I'm losing track, track of my thoughts. He was strong in building his spirit working in you. See, is this spirit? Is this spirit working in you? I'm trying to think back on everything we've been talking about already through the book of Ephesians so far. Why do we have victory? Because of the blood of Jesus. Why do we have victory? Because the Holy Spirit is living in us. The Holy Spirit is living in us because the, the, the blood of Jesus made it possible for him to do so. We have victory because Christ is in us. And when we are strengthening with this relationship that we're having with the Holy Spirit who's in us, our inner, we are strengthening from the inside out. No matter what we're going through. And he continues to pray, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, Christ in you. Through that faith that you've been rooted and grounded in love. Hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because his blood is shed abroad in my hearts by the Holy Spirit. Paul saying, I want you to, to know and get that Christ is dwelling in your hearts. And now you get established, that you get rooted and grounded in this love of God. That God, that Christ, has taken up residence in the side, inside of you. See, again, I've made this point a minute ago. God's not looking for a visitation. He's looking for an inhabitation. So many people are looking for God to visit them. But God wants to dwell in your heart. He wants to live there. Not just visit you. Not just visit you on Sunday. Or once in a while, but live there day in and day out. That you be rooted. See, if you're rooted somewhere, you're not just visiting, you're established in His love. That Christ in you, you in Christ, that you're strong in the ability of the Holy Spirit, that, you're, that, that Christ is taking residence in you. That by faith, you know. This word faith isn't here. That, that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You're going back. He was saved with might through his 
Christopher and the Inner Man. I thought there was another one for face care, but I guess that's right. Um, excuse me. But then you get established in the love of God. Okay. That's what we talked about. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and the depth and the height, the full dimension of his love. And that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would know this love. There's two words for know here. This one is experience or intimacy. That, we, that you would know, that you experience the intimacy of his love. That passes intellectual knowledge. See, you can't get what I'm trying to teach you just from a book. I can teach it to you, but you have to get it by revelation. And you have to get it by your own experience. Paul wants you to be so rooted in this love that you're so intimate and rooted with his love that surpasses just intellectual theology. That you may be filled with his fullness. Do you know how big God is? He doesn't say that he will fill you with a little bit of God, but he will fill you with the very fullness of God. The God who created the cosmos. The God who raised Christ from the dead, his fullness is in you. You need healing? Well, his fullness is in you. You need wisdom? His fullness is in you. You need provision? His fullness is in you. Everything you need, his fullness is in you. How does that happen? You know his love that's been shed upon your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And you're strengthened by that. You're rooted in that. Paul saying, I want you to get this. I want you to get a revelation of what I'm trying to teach you. And this, he's praying a prayer right here. I want, I'm praying this for you. That you get this by revelation. I want you to get a revelation of the grace of God. I want you to get a revelation of the love of God. It will change how you live your life. People cannot get a revelation of the grace of God unless God gives it to them. They can't get a revelation. I can teach you about the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the presence of God, but you have to get that revelation by God himself. What I'm teaching can help. It can help get you in that direction. But the Holy Spirit needs to reveal that to you. And there's times, even though I've had the revelation of this, there's still, still times in my days and weeks and and I say, Lord, I need a fresh revelation of your love. I need a fresh revelation of your grace, your provision, your promises. See, God did not just come to fix your life. He came that you would know him. And by knowing him, he would come live inside of you change your life from the inside out. There's so much I can piggyback on that. And I'm running out of time. I'm five minutes over. Let me try to wrap this up. See, you need a revelation that when you came into Christ, you are absolute new creation. 
all things passed away, behold, all things became new. That you're born again, not a corruptible seed, but you're born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God. That it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. It's not by anything you did. It's solely by the work of Jesus on the cross. Without him you are nothing, but with him you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Paul prayed that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be a comprehend with all the saints, with the full dimension of his love, that you would know this love and pass this knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants you to come to know, to experience the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I can tell you about it, but you have to experience it by revelation, by yourself. And when you do, it will transform your life. I'm going to come back and share some of these things next week that I don't have in here. So I'm going to skip forward real quick the good part, and then I'm going to come back and uh, recap half some of this half some of this next week and we go into chapters 4 and 5. But when you know this, i got to skip over some slides to get there, okay? Yeah, we'll go right here. When we know his love, it surpasses knowledge. Not only are you filled with the fullness of God, because you said in John 1 16 that his fullness you've all received in grace for grace. Because we have this mystery that's revealed to you as Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and love. Sorry, I'm trying to get to where I need to be. And when you know his love, when you know, no matter what you're going through, you know that this tribulation will bring patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Because there's love that's been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Then we get to this verse. This is what I'm trying to get to. This is the very next verse. After Ephesians 3.19, this is Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to exceed me above for you all that we ask, think according to his power. That works in him. It's working. It's not dead. It's not dormant. It's not something that was done. It's still work. That works in you. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than you can even ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can ask and think pretty big. And how does he do that? According to the power that works in you. And what I skipped over real fast, and we'll come back to what power is he talking about? Is he talking about the, the, the power of the Word of God? Is he talking about the power of the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about the power of Pentecost, which includes the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about Christ in you? I think in many ways it's all of the above. But in context, he's talking about the love of God. He's talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's talking about, in book chapter 1, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Let's talk about all these things. And that power is not just something that happened. It's something that's still working. And it's not working in you and me. It's plural. Not just, it's not just working in me and not you. It's not just working in you and not me. It's working in us. Plural. Okay? 
In conclusion, if to him be growing the truth by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll end with this. Yet in all things, we're talking about the victory in Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We'll come back. I didn't quite finish with this with this ending. I had a few things to say, but I'm, I'm over time. I'm over 10 minutes over. And I just want you to get this. And I, and I need to get it afresh over and over again. That we are victory. We are victorious in Christ. Not because of what we've done. But because of Jesus did on the cross. Because of the Holy Spirit. Christ living in us. And when we get a revelation of this, Christ does the whole glory. Whatever we're going through, whatever we need, He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or imagine. We have authority. We have authority even to use angels if we need to get the job done. To do what he's called us to do, to be who God called us to be. Okay? And I don't want to get so focused on angels, I don't want to go, 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 go too, but I want you to know, because of what the scripture teaches, who we are and what we have. It's pretty big. We have a lot of authority. We're authority under authority. But we have authority because the blood of Jesus, the word of God says so. When we know who we are. One, next week, I'm going to finish what I'm saying here at the end, but then we're going to go to chapters 4 and 5. Go, because this is true, how do we walk it out? And finally, in the last week when we finish this, we'll talk about now we can stand against the devil. Finally, my brethren, we done all the stand, stand therefore. But we don't want to go, we don't want to start with chapter 6. We want to start with knowing. The victory we already have. We start from a place of victory. Then we learn how to walk that victory out. And then we stand against the devil. Most people have it backwards. They try to stand against the devil so they can walk it out and hopefully they get victory. That's backwards. No, we need to know who you are, what you have in Christ, so that you can walk it out and stand against the devil. That's how it works. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.